0: Hi everybody, my name is Gustav Jank, uh, and I'm also called the vagus man, and I have a strong interest in the vagus nerve, and the vagus nerve, of course, is, is very tightly linked to, to breathing, because uh, we are when we are relaxed, uh, the vagus nerve is in charge of, of taking care of that we get a sufficient amount of oxygen, so the vagus nerve is is doing a lot of work. Uh, in, in connection to breathing and hence my interest in that and of course uh, I've been doing this for 10 years and one of the earliest things I discovered I'm also a yoga uh, practitioner and I'm uh, a passionate meditator one of the things we, we and I discovered 8 years ago was that when one does pranayama we can uh, detect the breathing with something called hand-to-hand electric radiogram. It's an effect of well, technological matter in a way. It's the amplitude of the electrical signal of the QRS which is changing. And, and this especially effect is seen in hand on to the, hand on the shoulder ECG. It's not visible in such clearance, clear in uh, chest ECG. And so, hence, breathing is, is key to understand again that when does the Pulse change because the vagus nerve is in charge of increasing and decreasing the pulse when we breathe in and breathe out. So, when we breathe in, the pulse goes up, and when we breathe out, the pulse goes down. And this is a functionality in a way of the vagus nerve. So, the vagus nerve is our longest nerve, It, it goes 10 kilometers around the body. And it has a lot of functionality, but its uh, main functionality, what we uh, usually talk about in neurology and and cardiology, is the so-called respiratory cardiac cycle. So, together with respiration, it adjusts uh, the pulse and the blood pressure and and something called bronchioles in the lungs. It's expanding and detracting the the oxygen uh, kind of uh, sucking modules say that cause molecules in the, uh, in the lungs. So the vagus nerve is extremely central in uh, what is called heart rate variability but it's also central in adjusting the blood pressure and adjusting the oxygen level in general which you take in when you inhale to kind of very quickly try to get an optimum level of oxygen out to all your cells around the body. So it, it's a very complex uh, engineering task in the way what it does but it, as long as we are healthy it works and here it comes to kind of the key question as long as we're healthy not heavily stressed by mental or, or molecular stress then this is uh, is working there all the time and why it's really important is because we you know in evolution that it's not only a one-way street It goes both ways, it means if we breathe properly, slowly, we help the baby's mouth to do its job more efficiently. And that's why we do something called control breathe. And and what everybody has read about, kind of if you're getting upset and you're in a fight, uh, the kind of 10 call breathe is, is the essential Part of this because when you do warm breathing, the adrenaline level goes down because you activate the vagus nerve, which is the parasympathetic nervous system, the rest and digest. And this one helps you actually to increase your cognition and increase your capacity to evaluate what, what, what is happening. And so that's why in the fight, it's always said that do this breathing because actually. You activate the vagus nerve which activates your brain which activates your your uh, autonomic nervous system in such a way that you are more capable of, of operating your body in a way and very important in this this kind of thing is that the vagus nerve which does this breathing and these adjustment is also the part of your neurological immune system so uh, we all have two immune systems and i think everybody has. Has got a sufficient education in the molecular immune system due to COVID 19. It means uh, we, we, when we talk vaccinations, when we talk about the, the uh, normal immune functionality in COVID 19, we, we talk about the molecular immune system. But thanks to COVID 19, we also have much more emphasis nowadays on the neurological part, which is called the culinary immune system. and that's. Uh, uh, Neurological immune system situated mainly in the vagus nerve. And, and this is kind of like the central pentagon, it's the information uh, central part of your immune system, which is determining how and where, how much and where the soldiers, in a way, where the molecules should be. And we know also today that uh, the vagus nerve or brainstem based, the uh, culinary immune system. Actually, the main immune system functioning inside your brain and inside your nerves. And since we know that in long COVID, uh, predominantly, some people, uh, there is a lot of neurological uh, reactions occurring, and it has been found that uh, the SARS CoV 2 viruses inside the brainstem or inside the nerves, and then we know there is a a certain degree of low grade inflammation. Inside the brain and so forth, and since there is inflammation, we need immune reactions also inside there. There are for instance, called legal cells and so forth. If they malfunction, if they don't, if there is an autoimmune reaction inside the brain or inside the nervous system, then it's like Houston, we've a problem because that's a serious issue in in health. And and we, let's say on science, uh, it has been realized that. Oh, lot of the, of the issues of depression uh, and, and so forth. All of all of these seem to now be confirmed to have a very very strong part in, in neurological or brain based uh, informations. And hence, we need the neurological immune system to work. Through. So what I'm trying to, to tell is, and then voila, we are coming back to breathing. Because actually, breathing is the main part of our conscious uh, thing we can do about the uh, about the autonomic nervous system and what we can do about the vagus vagus nerve so breathing is uh, in evolution there is a reason why we can uh, either be on autopilot with breathing whatever we consciously can influence and and the reason why we have these two functionalities still, is because they are essential for our survival. And, and uh, it's just a strange thing that modern society ha- has placed no interest in. We haven't needed uh, the, the conscious breathing, actually, in our modern life, because, because lions don't eat us, we are not in, in physical danger, and uh, we we are not kind of uh, in such environments where where we we place any any importance on, on on things like the autonomic nervous system, which has to be in in uh, uh, evolutionarily in a form and so forth. When you're alone, you're getting hunted or something, then uh, the, the, we needed as species this capacity to control our breathing, because otherwise we were just uh, flushing around and, and the lions ate us. So everybody who, who, who a bit, could control it could calm down, uh, pulse control, uh, control sound and so forth, and hence we could survive as a species. So uh, then you can think that, oh, it doesn't have any matter then today because lions eat us, but, but the surprising thing is that it has a very, very big importance, because if we don't, if we are like, uh, we are currently in, in most people are quite permanently in fight or flight uh, much more than in, in evolution historically then it means we are we, we really really need the capacity to, to decrease the fight or flight uh, mode and, and actually the best way we have for that is breathing. So back to breathing that's so I just want to say that the, con, the, the breathing, conscious breathing is is the easiest way to activate the vagus nerve. No, it actually is the easiest way to improve your immune system don't believe whatever is on on, on advertisements or eating pills or whatever uh, or even a salad is is a rather a slow way to i mean it's uh, you have to eat a lot of salad to, to compensate for control breathing as immune activation goes so so uh control breathing conscious uh, breathing is the quickest way to, to help your users. This is just plain science. Um, and so, what what I am, what we are doing, so my company is in Cambridge UK, and we work in bioelectronics, we work on baby's and stimulation, but as part of our this thing then ended up to have a neurofeedback was this kind of uh, algorithms and analysis of, of breathing, and and, and, and I kind discovered that it this it, it's uh, unique, so nobody else has used these hand to hand usages to to directly quantify breathing process in the way we do. And then of course it's it's not really possible in, if you if you take the electrocardiogram uh, and try to measure your breathing when you're just flossing around and then, like the normal, normal, uh, modern human, which is breathing shallowly and and quickly and and really horribly badly, then uh, the vagus nerve does not have time to react and you cannot measure it. So actually, what we do is we use a uh, so-called 10-second breathing interval, it's 5 seconds inhale and 5 seconds exhale. test, and then we see, does it get your biggest, does it get? Is your system working? And that's actually what what we have uh, we we have done this process. We have a virus ECG uh, app for for Apple Watches. We have ECGs, and and so we we've been doing that. It's quite a, a, a big app. It does a lot of things, and we have some subscription app. We we notice even though we have 4,000 downloads. A lot of people have asked me to just go for breathing and so actually we will launch a, a kind of a stripped down version of the Vegas E C G which is the same test but it's just the breathing. We just show the breathing We're just gonna cost two ninety nine. But that's gonna enable people to just uh learn how to breathe. And and of course I know uh, App Store is full of these breathe apps where they teach well they tend to show you how to breathe and that's and um, of course, yeah, it's really great that somebody shows you how to breathe, but if I say that you should breathe in five seconds, breathe out five seconds, that's, that's, I don't need a separate app for that, we just follow the watch uh, timer, but what we want to do is show people the real data, the real, how well do they it, how deep do they breathe, and, and so forth, and, and this is the, the the key issue when you actually before there hasn't been such because the technology wasn't there and this uh in order to calculate all this we, we take the data into the cloud and, and we process it in the cloud and then in 10 seconds the result comes back and actually what i did today was i, I showed you if you look at my bio I've actually put there uh, and and what we do we, we have this kind of radar screen which comes both on the watch and on the app and then you can quickly see there are four parameters which which uh, I think this is really important in breathing that's uh, one of it is how deep do you breathe how well do you get your diaphragm to, to move that is that is one and then the the second Equally and, and sometimes more importantly, disease detection is how smooth does this curve? How smooth does your breathing uh, reflect on your diaphragm movement? Does it move up and down? Are you able to to breathe smoothly? And this is where where we come into the the, the, the thing about uh, consciousness, because if your autonomic if you are in good health. When you decide to inhale and exhale, uh, your muscles should react accordingly. And, and what we found out, we have already the world's largest database on, on, on user tests, uh, 22,000 tests, but our users So what we know, is when you're sick, your conscious control right of your breathing muscle is not working smoothly, and, and that one we can diagnose. So then we see. trying to understand how, how well you are doing. running in our study at Karolinska. We have a long COVID study the Karolinska and here this smoothness. So so that's that's the second. And and then we, I'm also very interested in the consciousness. As you notice, I like the consciousness. So if you decide to inhale and exhale, how well do you do it time-wise? If, if you are uh, aware and if your consciousness is sharp, then you can inhale. If you decide Five seconds and exhale five seconds, then you can do it. But but if you are not very sharp, then then this process is not good. So we we are closely monitoring how well you we manage to to inhale and exhale five seconds and five seconds. So so this is this is kind of really critical. And the last parameter, which is very important, is this heart rate variability. So what we we look at when you breathe is how well does the pulse. That's parameter for your breathing and for your vagus nerve. So this, when you see now my 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 what's it called a radar screen there at my bio, this is what we try to do a comprehensive kind of feedback. All of this then also coming as graphics, and you can see historical. You can see how your breathing went during this every second. But this is what what we do. So basically, we we hope to be able to uh, to Help people to check whether or not there are issues of their breathing, and, and to, to teach people concretely with their own. They can see that they, that breathing. If you want to do control breathing, it's not enough that you go for a yoga studio for three lessons of pranayama, because it might be that you're sick. It might be that your your stress levels or whatever are causing you to be unable to move your diaphragm. Just by sitting there and decided, deciding to, to, to breathe doesn't mean that you can. And this is then when we can have a chain of disease reactions where people actually believe that, that they are fine but but they don't realize that, that the data would show that they are not, and then this way we can they can practice more, they can do. And what we see when you practice control breathing you're quickly going to get in most cases if you're healthy you're going to get even get better if, if uh, this process gets better so i hope you you a little bit got a glimpse into what is technically possible today to measure from breathing and, and why it is critically important to measure it because breathing is the, the the easiest uh door to your autonomic nervous system and hence to your your all disease test it's it's very easy yes i know you can take temperature that's also very easy but but a little bit more advanced knowing if you have fever and that's for instance this kind of of measurement we're we're going to launch this next week is that so just as a last comment yeah we are actually there is an an apple if somebody has uh apple watch uh, series 4 or larger we'd love also to have something called test fighters we get for free to to help us a little bit to to do the final testing of the app before we go public next week so if you dm me your email and if you're interested then we'll send you an invitation to test flight the app and I'm very grateful for being able to get a little bit more users who test it before we go publicly public. so that was that was my uh my story today um, and now we're gonna go concretely into how somebody with long COVID is experienced breathing, and and then we're gonna. I'll be really happy to, to get questions and comments from the public. Katie, I'll be so happy to hear how you are doing, and thank you for listening. Thank you
1: hi this is katie speaking thank you so much for having me once again as always gustav i always really enjoy your rooms and learning about the vagus nerve and how it can affect different parts of the body and especially with long covid and POTS and just a heads up and disclaimer for everybody that's listening i'm not a medical professional i am a patient and i'm just here sharing my experience and knowledge on the subject as is anybody else speaking um this is not medical advice um please consult your personal physicians that understand your medical conditions this is just for educational content so thank you so much for being here and listening um, And um, I'll tell you a little bit about my story. My name is Katie. I am Australian, but I live in South Africa. Um, A year ago, I contracted COVID. I was young, fit, healthy, no known underlying conditions. um, And unfortunately, it hit me pretty hard. And I have ongoing health challenges. Um, Some of those include... Under the large umbrella of COVID, I have developed um, a form of dysautonomia, and specifically POTS, which stands for Postural Orthostatic Tachycardia Syndrome. This is. The same as many other long COVID patients, um, particularly in women, and I'm really, really grateful for people like Gustav that have created his app, um, Breathe, and also the ECG app that measures the vagal tone um through his ECG app on Apple Watches or on his own vagus device. Um, there is not very much known about either POTS disordinomia um, and particularly how it relates to long COVID patients. So I'm really grateful for researchers like the staff that are looking into it so we can understand more about people that are affected by this condition and importantly how we can treat people with the condition as well. Um. So I would absolutely love to hear from anybody else that would like to come up and share their stories. Um. Please feel free to raise your hand. We'd love to hear from you. And thank you once again. It's Katie, and I'm finished speaking.
0: Thank you, thank you, Katie. As as always, so lovely to have you here. And, and yeah, just attend your daughter. These things are are extremely important kids the kids. Yeah, just uh shortly I'm gonna comment on, on Katie's. we do uh on this study at Karolinska in Stockholm we we look at bots and actually the same test data as we collect with this breathing app, we collect with this Vegas app and actually we we are also Producer of only producer of smartwatches in UK. So, so then we give uh, these patients, and the idea is to look at this autonomia
2: and especially uh, for one one area, spots in in long COVID. So,
0: all of these are are uh, parameters actually coming from from this, as you can hear, this autonomia That's an autonomic nervous system not working properly, and so we we seem to be able to to uh, detect it and triage it with with our our system but okay great to have you all here yeah i just need to to remind you we are recording that's clubhouse rules okay please yeah how are you doing yeah. i'm good i'm good I'm, and i do have an apple watch and uh, i'm not using it much so since you're calling for volunteers i do volunteer Wonderful. Thank you. Please, uh, you and everybody else, could you DM me your email and you will get an invitation for the test flight feature it's a Test flight is Apple uh, Apple's system of, of letting people access uh app before it goes public and to test it. So so if you just put uh, uh your email and then we can invite you. My software guys will invite you. Wonderful. How are you doing, by the way? Is, uh, I hope everything is fine with you. Your breathing and so forth. With me, um, breathing is okay, but I do have a uh, what do you call it? Heart. Uh, I don't know how to say that. um sometimes you can skip a bit <laughs> Yes. Oh, it, or you're just just losing a beat. That's fine. Yeah, losing a beat is no uh, no kind of disease in a way. It, it's a little bit like. I'd say, hmm, it has to think a little bit, and then it can lose a bit, or then it sometimes make a one quick. I also have that, and it's fine. it's not uh, uh, actually uh, the cardiologists are really sick and tired of of Apple watch owners who come and tell that they have a afib if they just have this this problem of sometimes losing a bit because it's not dangerous and and it's it's quite normal, actually, most people have it, so it's not not something to worry about, but just uh. Yeah, always breathing is is really great. And what I actually think is is if you do control breathing, you're gonna see that even that one is gonna decrease because it's it's usually kind of an autonomic reaction to something which is temporary, but it's, it's not dangerous. Wonderful. Okay, I really look forward to 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 having you as a guest like that. That's wonderful, Isaac. Great to see you here. Hi,
3: Isaac. Here. Um, just heard you speak about some things and. What a clarification here! So, does the name "autonomic nervous system" means that it kind of acts automatically? So, for example, is it not that, setting part during the night, there is this sync between our breathing and our heartbeat, such that at that point in time, the vagus nerve is activated during the night? Is is this right?
0: Absolutely, exactly right. Yes, okay. there's different degrees of autonomic functionality okay, that you are totally right at night. Yes, please
3: continue. Yes. So, so then I'm trying to think, are we not oversimplifying what you're saying? Because if we have to sit down and breathe, it's like you would need quite a long time to be able to generate that amount of vagus nerve reaction that, that you would need for it to, have any impact because if you're working during the day if you're doing stuff during the day let's say even if you can spare 30 minutes to do control breathing compared to what happens in the night i am thinking what happens in the night will be much more significant than what happens during the day with something like what
0: you call the control breathing What what do you think about that you're absolutely right what what happens in the night is you have a vagal control usually in in certain phases of your sleep because you know you have REM sleep and so forth and and they uh, the vagus nerve is active in some of them and not in the others and what we shouldn't kind of uh, confuse a little bit the different aspects of vagal activity as i said it is it's uh, yeah of course i'm simplifying you totally right because uh, you have to remember the vagus nerve is 10 kilometers long Uh, the vagus nerve information in your it's it is a nerve bundle on your neck if you put your finger on your neck under it under your, your outer where the pulse goes there is the vagus nerve and through the vagus nerve bundle each second goes a hundred times more data than in all of the world's internet per second so your vagus nerve is processing more information than a thousand times what google's servers are doing per second so you are i mean google is is, is a horse cart compared to your vagus nerve in processing so naturally i am I, I uh, simplify. We only understand a very small part of the the activity of the table style, for instance, today. And and this is of course the issue. We just know a few parts. So at night, it kind of puts on the sleep mode activity, and it does a certain thing. At day, it has a different activity. And here evolution comes in. We uh, you can see from the skulls of of human that already in 200 years our, our skulls have changed for breathing so much that revolutionary scientists know that our breathing has speeded up and this is extremely kind of problematic because if we just speed it's a little bit like global warming but we are also speeding up our breathing and this means we are speeding up how much time we are in fight or flight it means that we are for instance, becoming dumber. It means that we are becoming sicker when when the fight and flight is active. We, we know the endothelial cells and, and whatever cells are not working so well, so we seem to have increased cancers. These are all connected to each other. I'm not saying it's purely because of, of uh, breathing speed, but we know we are breathing faster than a thousand years ago. And this is kind of uh, where we need And the strange thing is that, We know from vagus nerve stimulation that if you, that's an implant you put on the vagus nerve, uh, there are uh, 50,000 implants done per year globally because it helps against different kind of diseases. So we know from that one, it doesn't need to be on for very long. It's it's enough, as you said, half an hour is great already because otherwise it's never on when you're awake. And that mode, awakened vagus activation, is really important because... And molecularly, if your immune system just gets a little bit kick in the tire, it gets much better. So that's a strange thing that even short periods. I mean, we have a, a, a 30 second test. If you do it three times per day, people seem to become better. Because even that one, helped. That, that's strange, but it's, as I said, this is heavy data stuff. The vagus nerve is much, 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 much smarter than your brain. So it knows it's the autonomic. And, and our brain, you know, has a very, very little part of our existence. Uh, Ninety-nine point nine 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 percent of all what's happening in our body is, of course, uh, autonomically done uh, in, in, without our brain. Yeah, my last clarification, because you are a scientist
3: is that, you know, when we have the homeostasis working normally, and assuming we are not doing this controlled breathing, if there is something affecting us, just like the lady mentioned with our breathing, would it not be rather wise to look at the HRV? Because the HRV brings this up. So if everything is not working well, you are able to track these changes. So let's say if someone is sick or someone has... COVID. I know there's not much scientific studies to to kind of support this, but from your point of view, from your experience, don't you think it is better to rather look at the HRV than just all of a
0: studies, start doing controlled breathing? What, what is your take on this? Yes, I agree. HIV is my, my favorite subject. HIV, of course, is an indicator of how the vagus nerve is doing. We need to just understand that the normal, let's say Garmin or Fitbit or whatever, HIVs, they are determined from a long average, which is done with something called optical pulse, which is an imprecise measurement of an imprecise sensor. So, and it's really good. HIV is a perfect measurement as long as you're not sick. This is the, the strange thing. HIV. Should only be used by people who are not sick because it it's only it's a very good parameter for for training for sports for for healthy people and and here comes the problem for instance, is in long COVID it is it, and if you have bots okay, bots is a, is a serious autonomic disease but it brings the HIV up okay. If you read uh, Fitbits or whatever, Garmin's description, they say the higher HIV you have, the better you are. And and of course, in Katie's case, that's an extremely dangerous conclusion because she has POTS. And basically, all people who become sick, uh, as soon as they are sick, they should stop following HIV, the normal optical HIV. And that's when we then do HIV in this specific test because that one tells much more. HIV, yes, I do, I look at it, but I look at much more, and then I combine it, we use what is called the so-called unsupervised and supervised artificial intelligence neural network learning, and we work a lot on big data to understand the nitty-gritty. HIV is too simple to use on sick people, that's that's kind of the difference, yes, as long as you're healthy, you're fine with using your Fitbit, but don't use it as a parameter when you're sick that's that's the scientific uh, scientist doctors all right uh, thank you thank you yeah thank you very much that like you saw my line and i'll I'll contact you (laughs) later then (laughs) thank you jonathan great to see you
4: thank you uh thank you for having me uh thank you it's a really fascinating topic um while you were talking i was having a quick scroll through your website um there's something I'd like to ask you about. Uh, you make, I was pulling it up. You make quite a bold statement on your website, and I'm really curious uh, as a mental health professional um, when you say we believe the main fundamental reasons for anxiety, depressions, and many autoimmune diseases are combinations of vagus nerve, gut, and brainstem malfunctions. Uh, I'm curious as to What that seems to be saying is is causality rather than correlation. Thank you, Jonathan. That's a Yeah, of
0: course, it's a bold statement, and I totally agree. Uh, One basic, uh, when you said, uh, for instance, depression, one basis for that is uh, in Cambridge, there is Professor Edward Bullmore, who is the head of psychiatry, research, and, and and he wrote a book, for instance, a couple of years ago, which is called "Inflamed Mind." And what I'm usually kind of giving this to to, to our partners and so forth, because it's a it's a handbook for us in a way. Because what he said is that seventy percent of depression, anxiety, and so forth seems to be uh, neural or brain-based low-grade inflammations. Okay, so so that's the inflammation. Uh, inside the the blood-brain barrier or the, or the nerve-brain barrier, and this is the re, the most recent research. I mean, this is the guy who developed SSRIs for depression, for for the big farm, I forgot which one. So he, he he did the SSRIs, and he's basically nowadays saying SSRIs are are sufficient only for maybe thirty percent of those. So that's one area where we see that. Since it is neurological or brain-based information, brain-based information, it means that it is a dysfunction of the autonomic and culinary immune reaction, which is not being able to uh, kind of get rid of this information. And, and, and an increasing amount of uh, so autoimmune diseases are, by definition, faulty culinary immune system. And, and the other one I'm relying on is uh, the Feinstein Institute. Dr. Kevin Tracy is the guy who found the culinary immune system or has defined it around 30, 25 years ago. They have published. Feinstein Institute in New York is they are they are part of they, they run most of the hospitals and he has I think 3,000 scientists and they they have published maybe 300 to 500 papers on this where they kind of conclude that the cholinergic immune system dysfunction is a prime driver in these cases. And of course, one can then say, are we sick because the immune system is not working properly? Or why don't we get better? These are, are, are kind of causality questions, which is, is very difficult, yes. But I, I pretty much am convinced of this based on, on, on all of this science of course uh, there's always going to be people who's going to have another opinion it's, it's going to be extremely difficult for anyone to come with the absolute truth on this but that's that's my 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 view of this let's say it this way jonathan did i hope i
4: i answered your question uh yeah i mean i'm not familiar with the research but it sounds like a very fascinating book and i think i'll, I'll go and find it for myself i i, I think you know um you're looking at different descriptions of similar and parallel processes. So what you're saying is, is uh, again, I'm just curious about where is that, that link between causation and correlation. I think it's really interesting because I think you're talking about different processes that have different descriptions. Um, whether somebody has experiences that lead them to disordered anxiety or disordered depression that biologically would then lead them to have you know, a combination of biological factors that are also running in parallel. I agree
0: this causation is a little bit complex, but we know the causation is clear from high stress to low immune system and increased disease. Sure. So, so, so this causation uh, and that one is is clear that it's it's in the in the vagus now in the culinary immune response which which can that has been possible to verify so so in that sense yeah it, it the question is how clearly can such complex causation be verified for everybody to be happy that's That's of course a problem. I know that any molecular scientist is gonna say that it's only the epithelial cells, which is the the main main issue, but good thing with science is that this is a subject which always can be discussed
4: i I like it oh a hundred percent and I absolutely welcome discussion and 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 it was a you know it is a question that was born out of curiosity because i totally i mean you know stress as an underlying factor. You know, I think it is present in uh, a lot of disordered mental health conditions. However, causality from how that stress is is also social, family, uh, how we're brought up, how we're socialized, how we're taught. All these things come in as, as, as factors. Thank you very much for having me on stage.
0: Thank you, Jonathan. It was great. I, I think that subject, we could have a different uh, room about causality, and I totally agree. I'm sure that we could have a lively discussion if we just get the right people in and we want to be able to have, have very much different opinions. So, so that, thank you for that. that I totally, totally agree. What I think is in all of this is uh, that if we take causality, again, breathing is extremely easy to see its cause and effect in a way. When you breathe, if you do, for instance, our test, you will see... That heart rate variability improves and, and we know that that one is a parameter of how well the vagus nerve works and we know that heart rate variability is totally uh, like these parameters are totally linked to the degree of disease it in a way that it's not working properly. So, so in this way, it's I'm trying to to offer a, a easy way to use something we at least every day can use. And everybody can use to, to to breathe because breathing is the key to to just doing something yourself, other than trying to eat pills or salad. So, so that's that's my advice. Just to, and yeah, it's it's simple, but. But it we, we all would like to buy a Tesla against this, but it doesn't just work that way. Our body is is far, far, far more more complicated than, than technology. So we need to use what the physiological is evolved to to do in order to improve itself. So, wonderful. Uh yeah, uh now uh Zach, wonderful to have you here. How are you doing? Great to have you.
2: Hi. Uh, I had a question, um one of them was a couple of couple questions. One of them is, can you be too parasympathetic? Like, can you go tilt the other side too much? And if there's any effects from that. And my other one was, um, yeah, I read that people, as they get older, they get more sympathetic. And my question, and then also read that pe- uh, people get more, uh, more acidic and they also get colder. I think, I didn't know if you had any thoughts on, and I guess just general maybe takeaways from your studies or your research or your trials that you've done on people. Any surprises from that, like sick, sicker people, or older people? But the main question was, is the older people, be, are they more sympathetic and, and why? And is that related to being more acidic or being more cold? And if you had any thoughts on that. And then I, then I missed your, your the new app versus the old app. Uh, is it, uh, I know you had an existing app now on Apple Watch, uh, but the new one, is it going to be different from that? Or how's it going to be different?
0: Thanks. Thanks, 2nd I'll I'll start with the end there because I remember it best. Yes, it's different. So that actually the old one, we we have a subscription. So that's, that's of course problematic for some people to have subscriptions. And that's uh, $7 per month. But actually, what we do with the new one is we took away all these respiratory sinus arrhythmia, all these kind of more complicated stuff, and just show the breathing stuff. It's the same test, but it's a simplified version so and we're just gonna have two ninety nine now to start with for for a download so that people can do however much much test they want with it we 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 want to give this uh, so that's the difference yeah, it's a simpler version just for breathing uh, that was the the last, the second to last one, you talked about the scenic and gold. I have to be really honest that I, I don't have really a clue about that. I, I don't have, I haven't seen, we haven't looked at it. Uh, what I can say is when what you asked with age, you are more sympathetic. And that's, of course, clear. This is, this is quite uh, simple because our systems uh, have a tendency of working less well when cells die. So, so we uh, the telomere—it's uh, called telomere. I don't know how well you you look at longevity uh, issues in, in the body, but of course we have something called telomeres in our DNA, and they they kind of decide how many times the, the cell is is getting reborn. And by with age, of course, uh, then this counting system goes down if you're not healthy, and it means the cells start dying. When cells start dying, the system gets stressed, and stress, in effect, is causing a sympathetic activation when you have this uh, two kind of uh, binary. You have the autonomic nervous system is binary in a way that we are built with, with parasympathetic and sympathetic, so we are stressed and relaxed system which are basically two different systems but it means that when you have cellular death uh, in a larger extent uh, the system is is your body gets more stressed of course your liver cells whatever they need to do more work i mean you have it's a little bit like in the office if you if there's only one guy there who needs to do all the work he gets stressed Definitely, compared to if there's a hundred who does share the word. So this is, of course, an easy physiological reaction on the system. So then with age, we know the sympathetic activation increases. And this, of course, is a chain reaction, which then causes different stuff. And I know a lot of the longevity startups, whatever, I think Elon Musk also is trying to put Money in. and Jeff Bezos is trying to figure out how they could live longer, and they also all look at these issues: how to decrease the sympathetic activation, the stress in the body by, by decreasing that the, the cellular death. Just for to to add on this is uh, we also know that the telomerase, which th- there is a determinant on the telomere length, it's called telomerase, and and we know the telomerase is tightly linked to the vagal. Vegas now. It's a little bit kind of sneaky thing. As long as you're healthy and good your telomeres don't shorten as much so then you can live long. But our evolution has created a system that when you are stressed and sick uh, it kind of puts a speed on to kill you off so your telomeres get shorter so the sicker you are the the quicker the telomeres get shorter so so it doesn't support it. It's just evolution uh, in a flock uh, it's not a good thing that the sick continue to live long. So we have, unfortunately, this kind of a kill off function in the telomeres, so that uh, the highly stressed, uh, highly sick people's telomeres shorten, and they die quicker. That that's just we we can blame evolution on that, but that this is how it works. So we need to be aware of it. So it also back to breathing, I I can state from. Without any scientific proof, but I can, I can imagine that when you, every time you do control breathing, you're gonna help a few telomeres to be longer. So you basically, every time you do control breathing and you're in the state of vagal activation, you will, at some point of the body, it's it's kind of inputting telomeres, which is lengthening your telomeres. But I hope I, I explained the, the issue a little bit.
2: Yes, thank you. And then I think I know the answer to it, but the parasympathetic is more rest and digest. Can you be too parasympathetic?
0: Like in everything, yes, you can be too. This is a disease state. I don't remember all the barriers when when uh, you're not able to go into to fight or flight. And this is, of course, not good. We need both. I mean... We need fight-or-flight uh, to be, uh, you have to have adrenaline activation and sport. And it's, it's really bad if this, this part of the system doesn't work. Both has to work in order for you to live a healthy life. So We can then argue whether or not Tibetan monks have fight-or-flight. But I I am a Dibhashjana meditator. I have been sitting with, uh, with, with very long-term monks who have basically meditated all their life. I can, I can assure you, it seems like they also have active fight and fight kind of system still, you don't kind of meditate the way it is, it's still going to be there. Did I answer your question?
2: Yes. Great. And then I don't know if there's anything related, like, I presume that a lot more people are too much sympathetic versus parasympathetic, which is, seems to be the case in Western societies. But, uh. Is it? I don't know through, through your research or tests or that you've done on people that have downloaded the app. But any other surprises that maybe if they're sick or if they're older? Or if
0: yeah, yeah. My biggest surprise was that I have we have two yoga uh, retreat centers in the family retreat. My wife and my my daughter are and, and so I've been testing a lot of yogis and and uh, so. One could presume that somebody who has do, done yoga for a long time, they would have a very good autonomic control and, and let's say they are good breathers and so forth. And as a matter of fact, they are surprisingly often, they are not, they, they are shallow breathers and, and they don't have such a good control. And and that that is surprising because these are people who really are healthy and doing a lot in order to, to keep, for uh, instance, women, who has, uh, uh, let's say, hormonal issues and something seems to, to cause this. So that's, that's maybe my one surprise. But by the way, I'm going to reset the room. So happy. This has been a wonderful discussion. So I'm just uh, reminding we are, are talking about uh, breathing a little bit more in detail. Uh, and especially just practically I'm telling about we're coming out with a new app next week where we specifically look at breathing uh, from the perspective of our virus, virus test and virus work, but it's an app for Apple Watches, and we are actually looking also for test fighters, people who could help us a little bit to test it before it goes live. This is free, but if you if you DM me your email, then we can invite you to become a test fighter if you happen to have an uh, Apple Watch, which is uh, newer than, uh, than series 4. Which e- with the ECG, so then you can maybe participate a little bit in development also. Yeah. But next week it should be should be out, so so please follow. But anyhow, yes, back to so this was my reset. Great to have you here, uh, Katie. What's your opinion about humanities?
1: hi this is katie speaking oh thank you so much gustav for an amazing conversation as always and thanks for the great offer um anyone i really recommend you taking up um if gustav is offering a free like sample of his test app please do take it um what an amazing opportunity for you all um zach and everyone else jonathan lt that were here asking some really great questions what seems to be happening um, to a lot of people, so people that contract COVID, that survive. So, um, you know, we all know the mortality rate and people that die. Um, and the the survival rate is thrown around a lot, which I have a little bit of an issue with. Because, yes, we have, sorry, I should say the recovered rate. So, yes, we've survived. Um, however, many of us have not recovered. And there are various studies, depending on the particular demographic, the place it was conducted, how long it runs for, and things like that. But it's anywhere between 10 to 30% of us, and perhaps even higher, um, have ongoing issues. And these can be severely debilitating, such as in my case, where, again, I was a really high-functioning scientist, overachiever, analyzing genomes one day and got COVID, wasn't scared of it um, until it was my, my reality. And a year later, I'm still in recovery and still have um, a really overreactive immune system. Again, trying to figure out exactly what it means. Um, science is doing amazing strides to figure it out, but we don't have all the answers as of yet. Um, so I'm not sure if you have been mentioned dysautonomia, um, or pots, which particularly women between the age of twenty to fifty, um, that are in the survival category of contracting COVID, have. And one of the um, hypotheses, and what seems to be happening, is that either you know we have an overreactive. Um, immune system, which means it was functioning so good to fight off the virus and let us survive. But now it's in overreactive mode and it's in fight or flight constantly, not, you know, in our heads. It's just a, a body response, which I think is really, really interesting. Um, and one of the aspects it's being looked into. Um, otherwise, it could be a new autoimmune disease that we haven't identified as of yet. But there's many different hypotheses. So, again, you know, just want to sort of separate the, the. I don't like to say regular, but say, you know, the, let's call it baseline, the baseline person um, living their normal life and hasn't had some sort of um, illness or disease that has um, contributed to this. To this condition in their body um, but I do also believe that so many people are in fight or flight um, kind of a long-winded answer as well um, but I love chatting about this stuff and I hope it kind of answers a bit and I'm happy to have any follow-up Zach so thank you so much it's Katie I'm done speaking
0: Thank you Katie yeah that was a a, a great great kind of insight into the reality what, what is happening yeah. yeah Zach did you have a comment?
2: Yeah, I don't know if you have any opinion or thoughts on uh, uh, like disease progression or if you're in fight or flight too much, is it, uh, have you looked at, uh, it doesn't happen right away, but five, 10, 20 years from now, either Alzheimer's or diabetes or other kind of uh, problems and like the progression of that. And I'm sure you've looked at studies related to the autonomic nervous system and, and, you know, people with Alzheimer's or Parkinson's, their sense of smell and taste gets worse five years before they have symptoms of Alzheimer's or Parkinson's, and uh, and I'm sure that the autonomic nervous system, the things that you do as it relates to breathing or your matching the you know your heart rate with your breathing and things like that, or, or or your way of measuring sort of the autonomic nervous system with breath and heart rate. I didn't know if you've thought about things that. Uh, I don't know, either things that you could sort of, I guess things you can cure right away might be things that are sort of more acute related to COVID, but things that maybe, I don't know, 10, 20 years from now, you know, if you didn't do this, then what is the long-term result disease-wise?
0: Thanks, Zach. That was really, really a good comment. Yeah. Actually, I've learned something. I didn't actually know that, that Alzheimer's, they, they have this kind of uh, taste, taste and smell smell loss prior to that that's that's uh that's really interesting yeah uh, we of course do not have any any data on that yet and i don't look what we are doing in this long covid dr study is we're looking at it from different angles This this covid 19 and i think covid 19 is is going to to enable a lot of science to be done in this field in a new way we're looking at it. Of course, is one it is a, it's a remnant virus which is in uh, in the lungs or in the heart, which is this is a standard procedure. And then, of course, as Katie said, the big questions now are: Are we dealing with the autoimmune reaction, or is it the low-grade inflammation inside uh, the the brain stem, inside the nerves, inside the brain, which is causing these kind of various strange symptoms and like pots, which is is uh considered to be a brainstem based uh, uh, kind of issue there because of the nature of it, so I hope that we will be able to find out especially yeah to to i think in the whole field it's a lot of research and of course one is just to determine of course here yeah, that's one it's one thing but of course. The big issue now is to, to try to find ways to help somebody like Katie and, and uh, that's that's of course something where we need to, but in order to help, we need to know where the base problem is. Is it autoimmune or is it the information, is localized information, if it's localized information inside the, the nerve or blood-brain barrier, then we, we need to see what can penetrate what, what medication. So these are are really, really important questions and, and uh, yeah, we need to figure out ways to to solve them. That's just how it is. Let's hope we can.
2: Yeah, I don't know I don't know on the pots the it sounded a little bit like uh people I guess the same thing is like when you have Parkinson's or Alzheimer's disease, the problem is over time you're Autonomic nervous system weakens a little bit, and your chemoreceptors that measure acid and alkaline uh, don't react as fast. And then your baroreceptors that measure the basically the arterial blood pressure that basically causes your you know your heart rate to increase or decrease based on the your autonomic nervous system sensory functions. And it's interesting that both of those, like uh, I guess if you if you sleep and get out of bed and your 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 blood and you get dizzy, that means your your baroreceptors aren't picking up to increase your blood pressure in order to increase your heart rate in order to have you walk better. That's why you get dizzy. And it sounds like that it might be, Katie mentioned it might be similar or something related to that. And what's interesting is that also you lose your sense of taste and sense of smell five years before the symptoms. So both of those things seem to happen at the same time. So it almost seems like there are certain things that are related to both of those that just sort of basic function with your chemoreceptors where they get off, where they either get to acidic or alkaline, uh, where it doesn't shift back over. It doesn't cause the baroreceptors to function, you know, right away. And there might be some similar similarities there. And also, you know, losing, I don't know if people, do they know why you lose your sense of taste and sense of smell when you have COVID? But it might be related to all, kind of related to, it might be all the same thing except for when you're young, you can reproduce, you know, sort of, you can, with stem cells you can grow back faster and reproduce the, the whatever you need to reproduce with the chemoreceptors and bar to get those back into line and once they're in the line then you you know things work better but i just saw some similarities there but i've never i've never heard of the problem with the pots related to covid until just now
1: hi it's katie speaking um gustav may i quickly reply of course Hi, it's Katie speaking. Um, again, disclaimer, I'm not a medical doctor. Um, I know there's one in the audience if they want to come up and, um, talk on the topic. Um, I have researched a lot into this topic. Um, you know, as it's affected my life, and had many conversations with many um, doctors of different fields, and um, I'm not sure if you're aware. There's now been some really, really fascinating, compelling studies done on, you know, what is sort of grouped like long COVID. Let's just start with this. Long COVID um, is a really large umbrella. Um, again, I'm just talking to the audience, not necessarily to you, Zach personally. Um, but you know, we have. Have like clusters of different symptoms that many of us have. For me personally, and many people I know, we would fit under what they're terming as neuro COVID or neurological COVID, um, as well as the POT, so the heart rate variability and things like that. Um, and you know, there, I think it's a really interesting field of research to determine those of us that lose. Um, sense of smell and taste in the acute phase Um, and whether, you know, the um, through the olfactory senses, that's where it crosses the blood-brain barrier and has some sort of effect on our brain. We don't know exactly what that is. There has been some really interesting studies. Again, I'm happy to share them with you, Um, but particularly one that really stands out to me was out of a biobank study in the uk where they had brain mris for a completely different purpose uh they were just collecting brain mris on people um and putting it into a database in the uk um so they had that going back at least three years for some individuals so they had a you know functional mri um brain scan and but what it shows is that there were a a proportion of those people that developed COVID again no one you know thinking this thing would ever happen Um, and they can compare the before and after because of course you know With so many of the people that have had scans and everything after COVID, you can't necessarily say it was COVID that um, caused those if you don't have the before data. But in this case, they did. And it was quite a large, compelling database. showing that there were um, brain lesions and differences in grey matter in the brain. Um, so it's certainly showing that there is um, changes in the brain uh, correlated with COVID. And again, it's... Oh, sorry. Um. Just being careful as a scientist myself. <laughs> um, there are changes after having COVID, not necessarily correlated. Um, ha- after having COVID, on these individuals' brains, and again, this is just to me the brain and um, and COVID is the most interesting part to me. And um, particularly, you know, there are, as you said, with Alzheimer's, like um, just to again give I. Didn't say this before, but um, I know Gustav and many of my friends in the room have heard this. Um, However, I just want to give an example how severe it was to me. I don't put this down to quote unquote brain fog. I was analyzing genomes, finishing my PhD, publishing science one day, and then I got COVID. And then it took me two months to be able to understand how to read or write a text message. And that is severe severe difference in my brain to me um it took me a long time to speak coherently it took me a long time to understand everything um we certainly seem to have a lot of similar um similar you know symptoms such as you know forgetting things um also the neuro, uh, neuropathic pain and things like that. So I think you brought up some really good questions. I'd love to delve into this topic further, but I don't want to hog the stage in the room. Um, again, we usually have um, our friend Dr. Alice here who is a cardiologist and also a long COVID patient to give some really great medical um insight as as a medical professional again not giving medical advice to everyone but just insight to what she's seen as a cardiologist and also someone that's had um covid or you know severe neurological differences since she's contracted covid um as a patient herself so um i really invite you to come back next week and i love these conversations so please don't hesitate to reach out and um I'm so interested as a scientist to be a guinea pig in these sorts of things. So thank you so much. It's
0: Katie. I'm done speaking. Thanks, Katie. That was that was a really, really informative. Kind of, uh, th- This is so important that somebody like you tell the story, because otherwise it, it's very difficult to, to for some people to understand the severity and the, the, the real issue there. And it's it's a real big issue, and I hope we can use it in order to to kind of uh, in, increase the knowledge and to, to find new new things in science. This is, of course, the, the critical. Yeah, please follow Katie, and please go to her rooms on Long Covid. I think there's going to be one quite uh, soon. When, when is the next one you're going to have, by the way?
1: Hi, it's Katie speaking. Thank you so much. So Dr. Alice and I, um, the cardiologist I mentioned before, if you go down to the bottom of my profile, it should be the fourth club along um, called In It For The Long Haul. But it's co-founded by Dr. Alice and I, and we talk about all things long COVID. Um, However, both Dr. Alice and I are usually on panels for long COVID um, and certainly lots of different really interesting rooms if you're interested in that topic.
0: Thank you, Katie. Yeah, that that's really I, I really recommend going to this, and, and I think Dr. Alice is she's having such a great kind of comments and insight because of her own speciality. And I, I I might I think I can mention that much when you mentioned MRIs, FMRIs and she she has uh, told many of these rooms of her own issue about she had fMRIs before and after and she of course can see the clear difference these are are really really drastic changes and this we needs to be figured out uh i'm gonna uh if we, we i'm gonna a little bit reset just to remind us who are here yes so we've basically been uh one topic here as you see the hello was about breathing and as you see the, the club is about the vegas so what we do is we determine from a breathing test. It's a controlled breathing, five seconds inhale and five seconds exhale with an electrocardiogram, hand to hand. We determine uh, specifically the breathing process, how deep and how smooth you breathe, and then we algorithm it into the different parameters so people can. Can follow it, and we have, up to now, we've been, uh, we have our own smartwatches. We're in Cambridge, UK. We we are bioelectronics company. We have our own smartwatches, which we are using now mainly for scientific research, as we do in Parolinska, for the long COVID triage. But uh, then we have an app for Apple Watches, which is called the Vegas ECG, which is a more broad app. Subscription and now a lot of people have asked me, and we have people who who, who use it for coaching, that we would have just a breathe a cheaper kind of a simpler app, and that's the one we are now going to launch very soon next week. Hopefully, it's going to be out. But we, I was just saying, if somebody has an Apple Watch and is interested in in participating in testing this app, by the way, for free, we just uh, we can. Put you on what Apple has this kind. Of, it's called test flight program where you where you just get the app before it goes out. You can test it and and maybe help us a little bit in giving feedback. And so DM me your email and I can invite you to test flight program for free. So you can you can test it and see how you how you think and test your breathing because breathing is the easiest and it's the, the key to something also like the bigger stuff into the neurological culinary immune system into these different stuff. Breathing is kind of the the most simple way for us to look at look at it and uh, for you to track and follow your own health if you get sick or if you get better how is your interventions working you can actually see it in these these breathing patterns that how well can your consciousness control your diaphragm movement it's like it's like going to the gym. You can see how well can you move the diaphragm. If when you decide does it move, does it not? Does it? Is it inflamed? Is there a, a, a problem in the in the, uh, your autonomic nervous system? In the balance between the parasympathetic and sympathetic? These are all issues in the breathing. But whatever you do, always you can always do the control breathing. And just there's a lot of. Uh, breathe coaches and every yogi in the world has a different breathing program. It should be inhale 8 seconds, or exhale 4 seconds and square and and do whatever and stress yourself and so forth. I'm just saying that it's enough if you inhale 5 seconds and exhale 5 seconds. This, this procedure to inhale 5 seconds and exhale 5 seconds, we can show that it activates 94% of the vagus nerve and actually in what we've been discussing today is dysautonomia. Okay, so uh, there is a, a book. It's called Autonomic Nervous System dysfunctions It's the dysautonomia. This is a teaching book for schools. It's a little bit of what what doctors read, and there already for for a long time has been this kind of uh, this five seconds inhale and five seconds exhale breathing has been a way to test dysautonomia. And what what we also look at and what generally what is a KT and so forth in POTS, so we see when you do this breathing, how much does the pulse change uh, if it if it uh, moves more than 15 beats per minute up and down when you do this, then it's fine, if it's less, then it's not fine. And the other way to look at what we do is, of course, uh, for, for instance, in POTS, you can do the breath test by when you sit, and then you see when you get up and we see how much the pulse is changing. By by just standing up and and leaning and all of this is possible to do with the, with the Apple Watch. The, the good thing is that yeah, COVID came at the time where already technology is now getting good enough. For instance, that we can use handheld ECGs to to get much much deeper insights into the autonomic nervous system. Of course, all this processing is done in the cloud, and so we use. We use nowadays also uh, unsupervised uh, neuro, uh, uh, neural network-based uh, AI, and, and so forth. And these are, are all things which we can then utilize. Uh, for instance, the brief ECG tests are also going to be background data for our studies of, on COVID. So, so all of these, I hope you you are positive towards trying to 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 improve your own health and and. Uh, positive in trying to to crowdsource data also into into science work so but anyhow I'm so grateful for everybody who's been here I'm gonna I'm gonna say thank you I just want to say thank you very very much everybody for joining today it was a marvelous room and also then if you have want to understand disease more I really recommend following Katie's and, and, for instance, Dr. Ali's room on long COVID because whatever you guys are thinking about disease, about neurological problem or immune problem, all of these are actually in, in the long COVID. So, so please, please follow Katie and, and join these rooms. So, thank you again very much for being here, Katie. I, I hope, yeah. Please, do you have any final words?
1: Hi, it's Katie speaking. Just really, really quickly, um, I just checked on your profile, Gustav, and if you click on Gustav's um, profile right now, um, yes, please come to his conversations every Tuesday about the Vegas nerve, and he covers many amazing topics, but if you click to his profile now, you'll see um, that the next room scheduled is um, hosted by Consoling Conversations, and that is if you're interested in long COVID, you know it's a great meeting that is happens about once a month now, and it's between different researchers, um, doctors, scientists, and patients um, discussing long COVID and all of these things. So I just really encourage you, like clicking on that, hitting the bell, adding it to your calendar, and if you have any questions about long COVID, um, anything to do with the vagus nerve, anything to do with neurology, um, brain effects from COVID or anything like that, please join us in that conversation and just again want to say thank you Gustav I always appreciate you your conversations are so enlightening and I'm just so grateful for you, you know, supporting the long COVID community and those of us, even if you don't have long COVID, try to look after your health and vagus Nerve Health, so I just appreciate you and thank you for all of your work and um, it doesn't go unnoticed, so thank you so much everyone have a wonderful day, it's Katie, i am done Speaking, sending you love from South Africa.
0: Thank you very much, and as always, lovely to have you here.